Hello, Marcus Giuliano here, your Chef on a Mission, Chef on a Mission Radio, Chef on a Mission podcast. Super excited to be back. I've taken a little bit of time off um, during the pandemic because my restaurant was super, super, super busy. Um, best year ever financially in 2020. So, but it took a lot of work and all hands on deck. And of course, um, I'm not telling you anything new if I told you that there's a shortage of staff, of qualified staff um, going on. So I've been all hands on deck at the restaurant, uh, but figured it out and things are fantastic. So I'm really excited to be back in um, in the studio recording uh, a lot of our uh, podcasts, uh, Chef on a Mission podcast, of course, which is where I bring you um, all kinds of cool information on food, nutrition, environment, things that uh, you need to know to um, to live a better life, uh, to have a better lifestyle. So, and uh, we also have started another podcast called Wine Time, T-H-Y-M-E, Wine Time Live, which you can catch on a different channel, of course, Wine Time, Wine Time Live, where Jamie and I talk about we talk about wine, of course, but it's a different type of wine podcast show. We don't get too much in depth with the actual bottle itself and the flavor profile and this and that. We talk about the experience of what it was like going to that actual vineyard. And uh, we reminisce and talk about the emotions and the stories and the great people that we meet and tips to travel. So Wine Time Live uh, now that uh, Italy is hopefully opening up and more of the world is opening up, especially Italy, of course, we are planning our trips back to Italy, our group tours back to Italy, and uh, you can go to VIPWineryVacations.com, and there you'll see all of our cool, fun trips that are going to Italy. Basically, Jamie and I take you to our friends' vineyards. We've been in the restaurant industry. We've owned Aroma Time since 2003, and that journey since 2003 has led us to some amazing friendships and relationships along the way. Yesterday, I actually called somebody from Napa Valley and um, I called a small vineyard and I called and I, I said, hi, is this uh, Sandy? And she goes, uh, yes, is this is Sandy. I said, Sandy, this is Marcus Giuliano. Um, you and I drank wine in your garage. Uh, you poured the wine into a beaker to decant it. And my wife and I um, um, were there, and we tasted wine on a pallet because she doesn't have a tasting room. So it's a small, small vineyard, like 120 cases of this made, 200 cases of this made. And she says to me, goes, how's Jamie? Like, she knew exactly who I was. And here's a lady who's making some amazing, amazing Napa Valley um, Cabernets, probably some of the best out there, at least in the top tier. And I haven't seen her since 2009, and I haven't bought her wine since previous to that because she's, her wine's not available in the state of New York. And she just immediately said to me, how's Jamie? Like, uh, and that's, these are the relationships we've formed over the, since, since 2003. And she remembers that. She remembers us. And when we take you to Italy, we're taking you to people that are like that. They know who we are because we buy their wine. Uh, we're fans. We're supporters. And we see each other on Facebook, and we send each other messages through WhatsApp. And so, basically, you are guests at our friends' vineyards in Italy when you travel with us. And that's what makes our trips so unique. And that's why Luxury Life Magazine gave uh, VIP Wineries Best Boutique Winery Tour Operator in Italy. Because we just have amazing connections. Um, they're not cookie-cutter cookie cutter trips. 
Each trip that we do is very unique. And our ground partners there who make everything happen, all the logistics, we put them to the test every single time. Uh, they're used to, a lot of these ground operators, uh, part and travel partners are used to cookie cutter, uh, cookie cutter trips where they know that they're going the same place every single time, every single time. So as soon as I send them the itinerary and the regions, they have a lot of work to do, but they make it happen amazing. Uh, they do an amazing job for us. And beyond that, if you need any help traveling in Italy, we can help you get a villa. We can help you get a limo from the airport in Rome to your hotel. We can book you a hotel. We have, like we said, we have amazing connections in Italy, especially, that we can make all this stuff happen for you. You need vintage Fiat rides. You want a helicopter tour of vineyards in Tuscany and San Gemiano. Perfect. You want uh, vintage Fiat in, in, in Pisa. You want uh, vintage Alfa Romeo in, in southern Italy in Apulia. We have all these connections. Um, and uh, we'll send you basically to our friends' vineyards as well. Even if it's a group of 15 family members going or 15 people going, and you want a bus, we'll get you a coach bus. We'll get you a coach bus and put you in great hands and connect, make all these connections for you. So just feel free to reach out to us. Go to VIPWineryVacations.com. So that podcast is a lot of fun because Jamie and I actually pop a bottle open and just tell stories. So tune into that via Wine Time Live. My In the Weeds podcast, business podcast, which took a year-long break, where I was speaking to, in uh, not really in-depth, but um, short interviews with other entrepreneurs and other restaurant owners about, you know, just the industry, the restaurant industry in general. Pre, this was pre-pandemic. You know, tell us your worst mistake. Tell us your biggest success. Share some advice to people who want to be in the restaurant business. Share a funny story. Have you ever been to the hospital, uh, the emergency room? Things like that. So that podcast is coming back as well. I'm not going to have as many guests on. I just really want to drop a lot of valuable information for the business owners out there. Because the pandemic was good to us, and there's a lot of things that we're going to carry forward from the pandemic. So that uh, I think is very valuable. In fact, I'm in the process of finishing up a book. Everyone still has to eat uh, success recipes for uh, during during a pandemic. Uh, so I felt that that's super super inform and informative and needs to be shared. And everybody keep ask everybody keeps asking me, you know how. how you're doing so well, especially all of our salespeople, and they can see how we pivoted and how we do different things. So that's the situation with that. But now on to um, health, nutrition, environment, your health. There's a direct correlation between a healthy body and healthy planet. Uh, that is, uh, I just love that quote. I, ho I hope to think that I made that up because um, I use that a lot. And there just, there really is, you know, if you think about buying processed foods, the more that goes into processing foods, the more unhealthy it is, the more waste products there are, the more, of course, garbage, environmental waste that goes into the landfills from processing things. When you buy a whole food, uh, a natural food, uh, you know, buy, let's just say, for example, you're buying um, sugar cane versus sugar. Sugar industry is very, it's very polluting. The, 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 all the byproducts that come out of there, the packaging, the plastics that it goes into. So that's just an example. Now, not many. I don't expect many people buy sugar cane and juice it at home and make your own sugar. But that's that's just an example of you know when things start getting processed, uh, there is byproducts that Mother Nature doesn't quite like, and there's a lot of nutrients and minerals and fibers and other good things of Mother Nature that has in those products that uh, are no longer in in the product. Uh, so. I want to talk today about something that's very unique that's happening in Alaska. 
and this unique thing in Alaska um, should be a model for many other regions around the world that um, salmon run, the salmon runs, the salmon catch. So this thing that's happening in Alaska, not many other places can report this at all, in fact. Uh, and it's not a phenomenon. There's a direct correlation, again, with what they do in Alaska and why the salmon catch, the wild salmon catch in Alaska, they only do wild salmon, the wild salmon catch in Alaska is breaking records once again. So the 2021 season is projected to be the largest catch on the record books. Um, and I'm going to read an article here from Anchorage Daily News. And of course, you can do a Google search and find this information anywhere because a lot of places are reporting on this statistic and this prediction of what's going to be happening in Alaska. Let me just explain to you why Alaska is having increases, one of the correlations of their increases of, of catch. While through the Atlantic Ocean, they've been trying for 30, 40 years to regenerate the stock of Atlantic salmon from Canada to Alaska to Faroe Islands to Norway. They're trying their hardest to make sure that these fish are surviving because right now in the restaurant industry, I cannot buy wild Atlantic salmon um, for, for, for uh, my restaurant. Sure, I can buy some Scottish stuff out there, but it's super expensive. There's a little bit of Norwegian, but super, super expensive. This salmon is for royalty, basically. Um, spoke to a fishmonger last year, Alistair, one of the best there in, in England, and he explained this whole situation to me. And there's so little. Um, he's in England, and he's selling a lot of high-quality seafood, and if he gets a dozen wild Scottish salmon or a dozen wild Norwegian salmon, and they're 50 euros a pound, so 100, 100 uh, euros a kilo, uh, no, no restaurant can afford that, and the catch is just not there because uh, they've decimated they've decimated the population throughout the Atlantic Ocean. Now, one would think you decimate the population by actually overfishing it, and that is one way to decimate it. But the other way to decimate a population, especially in the salmon world, is to take salmon farms and put them everywhere, especially in the migratory path of the wild salmon. Now, of course, most of you are going to say, well, gee, if I'm eating farm salmon, why would this affect, why would this impact the wild salmon? So it's just quite simple. Farm salmon, if you've heard me before, I believe is one of the most toxic foods out there, open pen, when they're farming it out in the oceans. It's one of the most toxic foods ever, the way they raise it, they cram them together, the feces, uh, the lice, the disease, uh, all the diseases that happen with the salmon, uh, the mortality rates. Salmon have, people don't realize this, but salmon farms have mortalities. They Salmon die in those conditions because it's so toxic. And Scotland has one of the most, has the largest mortality rates. So two, little over two fish out of every 10 actually die because they're living in a toxic environment. When you shove 30, 40, 100,000 fish in these pens, um, you have issues. You know, you know, we can't live like this as humans and uh, not have proper waste management and just keep feeding us highly processed foods. So... The salmon farms, they put these in the direct migratory path of the wild salmon. And what happens when all these diseases and sea lice spew out into the ocean and all this toxicity? Well, it goes into the wild salmon. And the wild salmon are actually dying off because of this. So 
Now, of course, this is not what chefs are telling you. This is not what the seafood monger is telling you. They're telling you, oh, I found this great farmed salmon that's sustainable. This farmed salmon is different. Folks, there's not much difference in farmed salmons. Uh, sure, some of them say they're organic, but this is a self-regulated term. There's no organic certif cert certification inspector coming to visit the farm and going down into the waters and making sure the fish are healthy. There's nothing like that. It's a self-imposed standard that they're using. So basically, anybody can say, well, we're doing organic. We're doing sustainable. It means nothing. It means it means they're good marketing is what it means. And it's probably also means that they're big liars because there's really nothing sustainable at open pen farm salmon the food it has to eat um the it's just it takes three pounds of wild caught fish protein wild fish to make one pound of salmon so they're actually creating a, a des a, a deficit of uh, protein coming out of the ocean to feed salmon so there's no right way to do the wrong thing as alexandra morton famous marine biologist in British Columbia says there's no right way to do the wrong thing. Alexander Borton moved to uh, British Columbia in the late 80s to uh, monitor and observe the orca whales. And she saw this firsthand as they were putting salmon farms in the migratory patterns. She goes, you can't do this. She, she went to the government. She threw her hands up in the air. She goes, stop, stop, stop. Of course, nothing's going to stop these companies because they're very greedy. And they convinced the governments around um, wherever they go into that, hey, we're providing jobs. We're providing an economy. But they don't say the other side of it where, hey, we're killing off the wild salmon and we are decimating not only the population of the wild salmon, but also the fishing industry. So all the natives and all the people who live in these bays and in this, these ocean areas, they're not going to be able to catch wild salmon anymore because in another 10 years, they're all going to be gone because our toxicity is going to spew into everything and just contaminate everything. But we're still going to sit here and keep producing and supplying jobs. Uh, we're going to supply 30, 40 jobs, sure. And, uh, you know, and, and can you help us out? Can you give us some tax breaks? And Canada just bowed down to these Norwegian companies and said, come on in, tax break after tax break and all these kinds of things, incentives. The real way to find out if a salmon farm, how sustainable it is, is talk to people who actually live in the community of the salmon farm. You will find, go on YouTube, go do some searches. You'll find some of the most, quote unquote, sustainable salmon farms, the most sustainable salmon farms. These are in their taglines and their advertising. The people that live there will do videos of, of all the dead fish coming out of these of these pens because of, of, of infections. So the mortality rate is huge. So that, that mortality rate then goes into the wild population, and the wild population dies off. So Alaska, folks, has no salmon farms. It's in their constitution uh, for sustainability, in their state constitution, no salmon, no farms at all in Alaska. And there's a lot of places around the world now in, in areas that are saying, hey, this open pen stuff, 30 years of it, 40 years of it's enough, 10 years of it's enough no go anymore so even the state of washington is now banning open pen farming uh they still exist there but when the leases are up it could be in 10 years it could be in 10 months it could be in 10 weeks when the leases are up they're not renewing the leases to these companies so some companies are still operating there and doing their things but they've at least said hey you know live your lease out but you're not welcome back we're not re-signing your lease and in canada the First Nations, they really, the First Nations are the ones, the, the, the natives, 
they have the right, the water rights. And these companies came in and, and sort of went through the back door into the government and um, went and put salmon farms uh, in the in the in the First Nations uh, water water rights. And a couple of years ago, a lot of them were, were occupying salmon farms in British Columbia. We didn't see, see much on TV, but they were occupying salmon farms. They were protesting and occupying salmon farms. So back to Alaska, Anchorage Daily News, um, and this is an article from 2021 uh, here uh, in May. So Alaska's salmon harvest for 2021 is projected to be a big one. Alaska's salmon harvest for 2021 is projected to be a big one with total catches producing a haul that could be 61% higher than last year, due mostly to an unexpected surge of pinks, so pink salmon. Uh, fishery managers are predicting statewide catch toppling, topping 190 million fish compared to 118 million in 2020. The breakdown by species includes 46 million sockeye, 3.0 million coho, 15 million chums, 296,000 chinook or king salmon, and 1. Point, oh, I'm sorry, 124 million pink salmon. And these are massive increases across the board. Now, this just isn't a one-year trend. This is a continuous trend, which is why I wanted to make the reference to all the salmon farms and how they're how the salmon, wild salmon in the Atlantic Ocean are totally different. So this is a trend that's been happening in Alaska. Catches keep going up and up and up. This happens to be just a fantastic year. But if you look at the trend, it's, a, it's an upward trend of, of what they're catching. Of course, you're going to have a bad year here and there and things like that affect it. But Alaska really is true, the last frontier um, when it comes to natural resources like this. So um, salmon. Salmon's in season now. Salmon season starts in May. They start fishing Copper River Kings, and uh, then they roll into uh, some of the other species a month later. When they first come out, they're super expensive because everybody's trying to get their hands on the famous Copper River King Salmon. And what they do is they all these fish are, are on a very strict quota system in Alaska. So they sonar track how many fish go up the streams. And after so many hundreds and thousands or millions of fish swim through the mouth of the river and go up to do their journey and spawn, they will um, then open open the floodgates uh, to, uh, to do the salmon catch. And the salmon they catch is at the mouth of the river and in, in the bays there is the best place to catch the salmon. You don't want to catch salmon once it starts its journey up the stream. When salmon start that journey, they don't uh, they don't eat, and they start consuming their fat reserves. But before it goes in, the salmon before it hits the mouth of the river, the salmon is plumped, plumped up and ready to go. And that's the best time to actually harvest salmon is when that has full fat content. So your, your salmon right now that are coming in, um, beginning of the season, they have full fat content. They're beautiful fish, and that's the difference. Um, you can get cheaper, inexpensive, what's called spent salmon, salmon that are swimming up, uh, but it's it's they're not desirable. And the natives there uh, will tell you, the locals will tell you, no spent salmon. You don't eat spent salmon. You have, this, you have to spend salmon for the bears and for the environment. Salmon's a keystone species, and I've said this many times. There's so many other species that rely upon salmon, and if salmon were to go away, there'd be serious issues um, in the environment. If you think about it, not only do, do we use salmon as a food supply, 
but the salmon that swim upstream get eaten by bears. Then the bears go to the bathroom, and then that nitrogen from the, the bear going to the bathroom actually fertilizes a tree or whatever is growing. And this, this literally could be 300 miles upstream or it could be 2,000 miles upstream, uh, like as in the case of the Yukon River that runs over 2,000 miles. The Copper River is a 300-mile stream. So the salmon instinctively know where they're going back. They go to the exact spot. I mean, this is how an incredible species these fish are. They go back to the exact spot. They don't have, they have their own GPS. They don't have a Garmin GPS or an iPhone, but they go back to the exact spot that they were, that they were born, and that's where they, um, that's where they spawn. That's where they lay their eggs. Now, um, to do that, they know what river they're going to, and they know the journey that has to happen. And the longer the river, the more fat buildup. This is why the Yukon River is prized for even their, even their, their, their lower quality salmon like their their chums have the highest fat content out there and it's it's a very desirable chum salmon coming from uh the yukon river now a lot of these salmon species there's six salmon species five or six salmon species in the pacific some of these you'll never really see like on a plate you'll see them more like in a can uh, the canned salmon industry is very very strong up there uh, and other salmons like your sockeyes your Chinooks or your Kings, also called Kings, and your Cohos are what a restaurant would end up buying. And that's where you would get your, that's what you would, that's typically the three species that you would actually see in a restaurant on a plate if you were to order wild, um, wild Alaskan salmon. Uh, that's what the three species. So salmon um, is a win um, all around, uh, just a, a fantastic food source, um, sustainably caught in Alaska. And um, no salmon farm, so that's a beautiful thing in Alaska. So enjoy salmon. The best way to buy salmon is to find it frozen. Keep it in your freezer. Uh, don't go to the store and buy it and freeze it yourself. It's a totally different process. When they buy, when they freeze fish, when they catch it, it's a very high quality frozen fish. They're blast frozen, negative forty, negative eighty. It's it's, and when you freeze that quickly, you don't have the cellular breakdown of fish. And it's, and it's fresh when it's frozen. It's frozen right when it's caught, literally frozen on sea at the sea or frozen on shore as soon as they're landed. Within hours, they're frozen. Think about it. If you go to the grocery store and buy a piece of salmon and then you go bring it home, you let it sit a couple of days, it's already 10 days old, the salmon, the fish, even, even maybe a little longer. Then you put it into your freezer. And a lot of people don't realize your home freezer, folks, is not meant to freeze things. It's meant to put frozen things into so you have to put it in, if you want to freeze things properly, you need to go into a blast freezer, into a blast chiller where things are going to freeze instantly. At home, when you stack a couple pieces of fish or chicken together and pop it into the freezer, it's going to take 24 hours to really get that frozen. And during that point is when, on that slow freeze, is when you have the, cellulars, the cellular breakdown the bursting of the cells and that's where you lose moisture content and that's where you when you thaw the salmon you're like gee this is just or any fish you're like just frozen fish is terrible then you go to a restaurant and you bother the chef or the manager like i don't eat frozen fish at all well you have you eaten sushi well yeah you've eaten frozen fish because that's all frozen by the way they freeze it for safety in most in most states require a lot of states require sushi to be frozen ahead of time because it's going to kill the parasites and you would never know that in fact, Bruce Gore, uh, the famous Alaskan fisherman, when he would do his um, his Alaskan catch, 
he would massage it, back, back bleed it, and freeze it within an hour of catching it. And most of his salmon went to Japan for sushi. Even Japan buys frozen fish for their sushi. So you could never tell the fish was frozen because it's totally different from what you did at your house. So when you go to a restaurant and you give them a problem about, oh, I don't eat, I don't eat, I never eat frozen fish. And people ask me, is your fish fresh? Well, I'm like, well, it's not rotten. So yeah, it is fresh. Oh, no, no, I mean, is it, did you ever freeze it? And I said, well, it came frozen, but it's fresh. It's fresher than fresh. It's like, what's the opposite of fresh? Opposite of fresh is rotten. The opposite of fresh is not frozen. So um, people, and, and I understand that, that that non-chefs don't understand this. You just have to educate yourself a little bit and have somebody show you. And I was shocked the first time that it was shown to me as a professional chef. I'm not buying frozen fish. I'm too good for that. Well, when you line up 80 chefs at the Culinary Institute of America for a chef's collaborative conference and you have five salmon on the plate labeled one through five and you go through and taste and um, out of those... Out of the, maybe it was 125 chefs. This was years ago, 1999. Out of the 125 chefs in the room, the majority of them picked, let's just randomly say, number five. The majority of the chefs picked number five, and when they revealed what number five was, it was a frozen-at-sea wild salmon. Not the farm-raised fresh, not the f- wild fresh, never frozen, right? The freshest, the most, the tenderest, the, the best, the best um, consistency and flavor came from something that was frozen right away, blast frozen, like a Bruce Gore product, like a lot of people are doing now. Um, and that was a real eye-opener for me. But until you experience it yourself, you don't, um, you don't know that. You don't, you, you, I mean, you just, you're like, because you, we're always taught, don't freeze, don't freeze, don't freeze, don't freeze. We're always taught, well, is it, is it fresh? Let's see how it's in it fresh. Rotten? Well, no, it's fresh. Our fish is fresh. So go to a health food store, go to a frozen section, you can buy Alaskan salmon all year long frozen. Um, that exists. So that's a story with that. All right, folks, thanks you for, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Um, if you are a salmon lover, hopefully that helped out. Please share that this uh, episode with anybody else who is into salmon, especially chefs that are serving farmed salmon. Uh, we need to educate more chefs that are serving farmed salmon to do the right thing, to remove salmon off their menu. If they're not going to serve wild salmon, there's other alternatives. There is Arctic char, which is uh, farmed in a recirculating uh, re- system in, a, in an inland um, containment systems, which are much better. And salmon, some of the salmon farm is going going towards that as well. So it's very expensive to get involved in in that uh, upfront cost. So a lot of salmon farms rather just throw a net with a frame in it uh, in the ocean and throw all their fish in there and see what happens. So that's the situation with that. Uh, let's see. And again, um, you can find a lot of my information at uh, uh, my restaurant, Aroma, A-R-O-M-A, time, T-H-Y-M-E, Bistro, B-I-S-T-R-O dot com, AromatimeBistro.com. Uh, established in 2003 in the Hudson Valley, beautiful Hudson Valley, just an hour and a half north of New York City. Uh, if you want to go on a wine VIP red carpet wine vacation with us, VIPWineryVacations.com. Besides Italy and Spain, we're now offering Finger Lakes and Long Island trips. Long Island was named the 
a number one wine region in the country, number one wine trail in the country. And with a couple hundred wineries, it's no surprise. It is beautiful there. Long Island is also beautiful. And if you're in the Hudson Valley, we offer a new service, Your Car, Our Driver. We have fully licensed, uh, clean record drivers that will show up to your location and drive you around to wineries, breweries, distillers throughout the Hudson Valley. And uh, that you can find that also on VIPWineryVacations.com, Your Car, Our Driver. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I uh, appreciate it, and um, you are what you eat.